You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio, and today I'll be speaking with EMT Donna Jaworski. Donna is saving lives as an FDNY EMT again. Jaworski previously served as an FDNY EMT before leaving the department in 2003 to raise her family. She was also a 9-11 first responder, having worked at the World Trade Center site during the rescue and recovery effort. In 2018, she came back to the job she loved and joined the ranks of FDNY EMTs once more, graduating as class valedictorian. Donna, welcome to the show. Good morning, Chief. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Now, we know each other. Yes, we do. So we'll start at the very beginning when you first came into the ranks of EMS. And what year was that? That was in 1993. 1993. I came through uh, the top class up at the academy, and you were one of my ICs for my very first original class coming through. So for our listeners who don't know, an IC is in, an instructor coordinator. And uh, at the time I was teaching at the EMS Academy, it was pre-merger. Yes, it was. And uh, at the time, that was the largest class that we ever had at the Academy. We were. There were, I believe, 70 of us, and we were named the biggest of the best at the time because it was unheard of to have that now many students in class. Now what's the class size for Nine, 90 plus per class. 90 plus per class. So we keep growing. So you start in 1993 pre-merger. Then we merged with the FDNY in 1996. Yeah. And before we talk about how you left and come back, what brought you to EMS in the first place? So my father was a New York City firefighter for 27 years. So I always grew up around first responders, spent a lot of time as a kid in the firehouse, hearing stories. So I was always intrigued by his line of work and interested in it. So it must have been an interesting time when Health and Hospitals EMS is merging with the FDNY. Oh, it was great because there came a time in my early 20s where I wound up wearing the same uniform that he did. So right. he was he was a proud dad. Yeah, I bet it was great. But the real way I got into EMS was uh, I was a hairdresser at the time. I had a very close friend of mine who was a respiratory therapist. And we were sitting having a conversation one day. And I said, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to do as a career. I like this, but it's, it's not something I'm going to wind up, you know, doing for the rest of my life. And she handed me a flyer that she had received for an EMT program. And I looked at her and I said, are you crazy? I don't, I don't know anything about emergency medicine. You know, I, I cut hair. And she said, Don, I've known you a long time. I think this would be right up your alley. I think it would be great for you. And uh, I said, you know what? It's three nights a week. Let me give it a shot and, and see if I like it. If I don't, nothing lost. So I went and the first night I was there, I was in love with it already. I couldn't get enough. And, and I knew then that this was going to be the route I was going to take. So... You end up leaving EMS. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I wound up getting pregnant, and I had my first child, and I was on family leave, and I was getting ready to come back. My, uh, my family leave was getting ready to expire, and I wound up pregnant with my second child. Mm. And at that point, it was a matter of where is my life now? Right. Where are my priorities now? And as right. much as I loved the job, I realized being a mother was my top priority at that point. So I decided to leave the job. And that was tough. How many years did you have in at that point? I had 10 years on at that mm, time. So that's it was a tough decision. It was hard for me because I loved my career. Right. I loved what I did. But there was a, a choice I had to make. And, and I knew I wanted to be home with my kids. And you're so. not the first yeah. woman or the first parent. 
for that matter, right, to have right. to face that type of decision. It was tough. I was always someone who worked. So initially being home, I said, wow, this is great. I don't have to get up in the morning. I don't have to go to work all day. And uh, I realized <laughs> I realized shortly thereafter that it, that's not all it's cracked up to be. You know, I loved being a mom, of course, but uh, I also missed, I missed going to work. I missed right. having my career. Right. Yeah. But you end up staying in the world of EMS during this time that you're raising your family. I did. I was home for a few years, and I started to realize I can't just be home. I needed to work, and I missed the medical field, so I started to teach. I became a CPR instructor, and I started to teach part-time nights, which was perfect because yeah. uh, my husband would come home from work, and then I would, I would be able to go out and you know work four hours in the night and, and have a little something for myself. And that passion for teaching started to grow, and I continued on with that. I became a certified lab instructor, and then I became an instructor coordinator myself. It was a great time for me because I had a really nice balance of being mom, but also still having my foot in the door with the career that I wanted to continue with. You so know. you were training EMTs I was trained, yeah. Yeah, so now I was the teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had come full circle almost, you know. Right. And, uh, and I loved it. I loved teaching. And then it, it made me a better mom, I think, because I came home and I had a little more patience and because I had a little bit of time for myself and to continue to do what I love to do. Nice. Yeah. At some point before 2018, you decide to come back. How did that play out? Okay, so my husband was retiring from the NYPD, and I was thinking to myself, it's probably a good time for me to start looking for some full-time work again. I started looking around for different jobs, different things I could do, and my father said, well, you know, why don't you go back to the FDMY? And I said, you know, are you crazy? I'm, I'm 47. I can't do that now. I'm, you know, and he was uh, pretty persistent with it, and so I, uh, I filled out the application, and uh, kind of said, there, there, I did it, okay? And uh, really never thinking that it was going to really come to fruition. And if it did, I thought the list number would be so high that I'd be waiting mm, for a long time. You don't understand how the <laughs> list number works. You must have I, been yeah. near number one. I was number three. So there when I got go. the letter and I opened it, I was like, wow, this, this, is, this is happening and it's happening now. So, you know, just for our listeners, because our listeners are all over the world and don't understand that we have a civil service process for hiring, but when you're applying as an EMT and you're already state certified as an EMT, you get placed on the list based on how much time and experience you have in that title of emergency medical technician. And so most people <laughs> who are applying have less than a year, and suddenly you're applying with many years of experience. And that's yeah. how you end up becoming number three on the list. So now you <laughs> have to make a decision sooner than you thought you would, right? Yeah. Well, the next thing was the, you know, the physical. And back when I came on, there, there was no physical. You came in, you passed your academics, you passed your skills and your state, and on the road you went. So I realized that there was going to be some sort of physical requirement, and I really wasn't too concerned about it. But it, it definitely... Uh, <laughs> It definitely was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. But um, I got through that and said, okay, you know, here we go. The academy is around the corner and I'm getting mentally ready for that. And I was excited. I was nervous, but I was excited. What was the experience like at the training academy? So now you end up going back to the same building where it all started for yeah. you, right? Absolutely full circle. It was so surreal to me because everything was familiar, mm. um, but so much was different and so much had changed and so much of the training had changed. Protocols had changed. There were medications now that we could give that we couldn't give years ago. You know, of course, 
anybody who's heard my story knows how I felt about, you know, the drill instructors uh, and, and the, the physical requirements that we had. It was tough. What for were me. some of those physical requirements that you had this time around that didn't exist when you started in '93? Well, you know, even just getting on, you know, to do the stair machine with the vest and the armorgometer and the lift, and that just did not exist at all. You you did not have any of that. You were healthy, and uh, you came on the job, and and that was it. You know, so once I got through that, I felt like, okay, this is this is going to be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. And I got to the parade field and was uh, rather quickly put in my place to realize <laughs> I was not over that hump yet. And there were a lot of push-ups and runs and sit-ups, and it was very hard for me. I really had to dig deep because not only was I twice the age of everybody in the class pretty much, so it was difficult for me on a physical level to keep up, but also mentally, I think, I did not want to be the old lady that mm. couldn't keep up, and that's why my squad is taking heat. So I always had that in the back of my head where it wasn't so much just get through it. It was you need to push harder to not be the weakest link, so to speak. Mm. Um, I had a lot of support from my classmates. They were fantastic, but it was tough. Did they know you were coming back as sort of a... I really tried when I first got in to fly under the radar. I Mm. didn't want people to know I was on the job. I didn't want people to know that I had instructed. I just wanted to fit in and be one with the rest of the class. And uh, that cat came out of the bag rather quickly. Mm. You know, as as the class went on, people recognized me that were coming in and, you know, what are you doing back in probie school? And then, you know, (laughs) then the questions come up and, you know, shouldn't you be retiring by now? Things like that. So so the cat got out of the bag fairly quickly and uh, then the questions questions came and, you know, it was a matter of, yeah, yeah, I actually did this job. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, it was fun, though. It was it was tough, but it was fun. I would imagine that once the cat's out of the bag that they're turning to you for advice at some point. Yeah, there were a lot of, you know, what's it like out there, you know, Mm -hmm. because there were people in the class that had worked for different agencies or volunteered. And there were some people in the class that had never been on a bus in their life. So they were inquisitive, Mm -hmm. you know, what's it like? And I would try to explain what it was like. But I said, my recollection of this is from 15 years ago, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you what it's like out there today. Right. And I hear there's a lot of change. So I'm going to be as surprised as you are to see what's to come. You know, but so they were great. You know, some people asked me for help academically. And then they tried to help me when I struggled physically. So mm. it, it was it was a nice balance with my classmates. It really was. They were very supportive. They wound up coming up with a nickname of uh, Mama Donna. You know, initially I said, oh, God, here we go. And, and everybody was laughing. And, and then it just, it, it really seemed fitting. And I said, these kids are like my own child's age, my oldest daughter. And so uh, that was it. That was the nickname. I became like the den mother. And uh, I loved every one of them. They were amazing. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that you end up as the valedictorian. I mean, you had a leg up, so to speak, yeah, it, because absolutely. you are an instructor, of course, right? Yeah. So, well, you know, they they post the grades by your EMT number. So my EMT number starts with a one, <laughs> and most of the people in the class, you know, started with a, a four or a three. And so once the grades went up, everyone was like, "Oh, look what Donna got! Look what Donna got!" And I said, "Oh my God, I can't really hide in the middle here somewhere, you know? It's kind of like you might as well just put my picture there." So everybody knew and. And um, I had really no idea about the perks to the valedictorian spot. And one of the kids in the class, very, very smart kid, 
came up to me. He was pretty much right behind me and said, you know, if you take the valedictorian spot, you get to pick your station. And I said, you should not have told me that because then I went home and, and it was all about studying. I locked myself in my room and uh, <laughs> I did take the spot, but I had quite a few people, a handful of people behind me, right neck and neck. So smart kids, smart, smart kids in that class. I admire your ability to come back, put your mind and your body through all of that. I know it was difficult. It was. I, I laugh because my father was one of my big, biggest cheerleaders in life. The first two weeks, I, I cried. Every single day, I came home and cried thinking, what have I done? You know, why am I doing this? I kept trying to focus on the the end prize, which right. was the graduation and getting back and doing what I loved. And my father said to me after I graduated, every time I saw the, you know, the caller ID on the phone and it was you, I didn't want to pick it up because I thought you were going to say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Everything hurts. I'm finished. So uh, it was good to get to graduation <laughs> in one piece. During this particular class, Chief Bonsignora, who is now the chief of EMS, when she was the chief of the academy, she started um, visits with the new employees, the new employee classes, to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. You were a 9-11 responder, so now you're a new employee all over again, right? The oldest probie, I think, uh, <laughs> was one of the phrases of the, that yeah. came up. <laughs> um, you end up doing this field trip. Tell us what it, what, what it was like for you. Had you been back to the site um, as the museum or the memorial pools were opened? No, I, um, I had not been back down to 9-11 since the last day that I walked off the pile from the recovery efforts. My father had gone down every single year for the anniversary, he asked me every year, do you want to go? And I always wanted to go. I could just never really bring myself to go. There was something that always said, don't, you're not ready. And so I, I just, I never went back down. I watched it on TV. I had my, my moments to myself on, the, on that day every year. So when I was in class and I was looking at the syllabus and I saw that we were going, it actually fell on my birthday, which was even more ironic. And I was given the option by the academy staff to not have to attend mm -hmm. that day if I didn't want to. And I thought about it long and hard. I really did. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to go back down. What better time to, to revisit the site than with all of my peers, you know, 90 of my classmates, my instructors, my DIs. What better support system could you have than that? And so I decided to go, and I was, I was a nervous wreck because we had gotten the Legacy of EMS lecture, which talks a lot about 9-11, and I actually had to uh, leave the classroom during the lecture because mm -hmm. it was so intense. I, I got very upset. Mm -hmm. So I wondered how I was going to do going down there and physically being there that day. I bet you did. You know, what our listeners can't be aware of right now is both of us are tearing up. Yep. It's tough. It's very difficult to go down this path and not get emotional. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with getting emotional. No, no. Every first responder, whether EMS, fire, PD, uh, reacts a little bit differently. Absolutely. And very similarly to these memories and to the thought of going down there. Yeah. Some people can never do it. Some people still haven't done it. 
And which is why the Academy was respectful and left it to you Absolutely. as to whether or not, right, because we all try to respect each other's space on this and where you are emotionally. So how was it? What was it like for you? Well, like I said, it was my birthday. So when we got there, it was very early in the morning. It was still dark. We all came out and lined up on the street. And then everybody sang happy birthday to me and gave me birthday cards. <laughs> so that, you know, that kind of uh, lightened the mood a little bit. And uh, once we went over to, to the actual site, I was able to present the wreath for the wreath ceremony, which was nice. And one of the drill instructors came up to me and said, you know, um, how are you doing? Are you okay? And I looked at him and I said, I'm strangely, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I don't feel emotional. I don't feel upset. And the only thing I could equate it to, I, I remember saying to him, um, this is not my 9-11. I'm standing here and I, I know where I am, but my brain is not making the connection because there weren't pretty waterfalls and trees and lights and beautiful buildings. You know, it was a, a war zone mm -hmm. when I was down there. So I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm not really making that connection of where I am. And I think that was the one thing that really helped me keep it together. Those memorial pools are spectacular. They're absolutely beautiful. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Totally really, really beautiful. Totally agree with you. I find them to be very soothing, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I looked at the names, and unfortunately, yeah. there's quite a few names on there of, of uh, people that that I knew that were lost, coworkers, family, friends, and it's tough, and it'll always be tough. It'll mm -hmm. always be like yesterday, yeah. you know, and seeing it for the first time, but, um, you know, you push through, and uh, and you go to the next day, and, and uh, just keep moving forward. Now, does this uh, field site visit, does it also include going into the museum? Yeah, I had a harder time with the museum. <laughs> I bet you did. Yeah. I actually had Chief Bonsignor come up to me prior to going into the museum, and she offered to go through the museum with me. Mm -hmm. And I knew how difficult it had been for her to go through. And I said, you know what, I, I appreciate that so much, Chief. I said, but I didn't want to have to put her through that again <laughs> to, to help me. So I realized, I said, if, if, if I go in and, and it's just too much, I can always just leave, you know. And, you know, of course, everybody has different triggers from 9-11 mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and uh, certain audios that were there really, you know, brought me back to the day, brought me back to the smells and the sights. And so there were certain areas that I was in for a very short period of time that I, that I had to leave. And, and my, uh, my fellow students would see that. Come on, Donna, come over here. You know, are you okay? And they were also very inquisitive. There were a lot of questions going through there about that day. So that kept my mind occupied mm -hmm. uh, with them and a little bit distracted from just being able to stand there and, and you know, go back to it. So it was it was tough. It was it was definitely tough. But I was I was glad that I that I went. My experience was tough too. So I can totally relate. Yeah. Um, when I went back to the memorial pools, it was right after they opened, and I went, actually went back with people who I responded with right. on nine eleven uh, for the support, and we were each other's support. Uh, and we did the same thing when the museum opened, and both experiences were far more emotional than we expected them to be. Absolutely. Um, and it gives you a true appreciation for post-traumatic stress, right? Absolutely. Because that is what happens. You're taken back to that a moment. moment in time. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, there are so many people suffering, you know, today. And, and that's, I think, what what makes it so much more difficult as well is it's, it's not just the people that were lost on that day. It's the people that continue 
to be lost over all these years, you know, with with the illnesses that came from that day. So it's it's kind of it just never really ends. Right. And just within the FDNY alone, at the time of this session and this recording, we're up to 221 members. We're going to far exceed the 343. It's it's uh, it's terrible. And it's it's so sad. And uh, there is really no words to to describe. It's just uh, it's frightening for those of us that were down there. It's incredibly sad for those we've lost, their families, the people that are that are sick now. My heart just goes out to them. My prayers go out to them. I wish there was a way to just make this all disappear, but right. it, it, it will be with us for years to come, yeah. unfortunately. How much after this visit is graduation day? We finished class the end of January and then actually went on the street for a few weeks and came back to graduate, so... Graduation was great. Graduation was... Uh, Which is really just the ceremony yes, for our listeners. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it makes everything... Everything you know, Everything's done. official then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't feel official until, you you know, you shake the hands and you, <laughs> and you get the, the awards. And <laughs> <laughs> Where did you end up getting assigned? I got assigned to Station 5-4 mm-hmm. in Springfield Gardens. It was a choice that I made for commuting purposes. I mean, now I'm a mom and it was important for me to try to stay close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate to get 5-4. They were great. You know, when you're brand new walking into a station at age 47, it's <laughs> it's not easy, you know. My mentors, everybody I worked with over there, the bosses, everybody was wonderful. I, I can't say enough about that station. What did you find to be the same and not changed since you left versus what was totally different? Everything was on paper 100 years ago. You know, you made a mistake, you put a line through it, or you ripped it in half and wrote another one. And took a little bit of time for me to get used to all of the technology. All of that was new for me. New medications, protocols. I mean, way back when our medication as BLS was oxygen. That was it. Now we have albuterol. We have epinephrine. We have Narcan. There's just so many different treatments that we can do now. Job responses were different. I remember years ago, a diff breather was always a dual response. Now it's just a BLS response. So there were things I, I had to get used to. The buses are huge, which was great because I know you remember back in the day when... <laughs> it just didn't have room for everything. You didn't have room for anything. Your back was butted up against, you know, the box and, and that was it. There was no back seat. So uh, the new ambulances are probably the most significant positive change. <laughs> Um, well, from the I, time yeah. that pre-merger to now. Oh, it, it's uh, it's amazing the amount of room that you have, which is, it, it's a beautiful thing. So you have an interesting story about the bus yourself, where you come full circle as you get out to Station 54. Why don't you tell us about that? My original bus, when I worked for Six Frank, which was my original unit, when I first came on the job, our bus number was 471. And I was in that for years with my partners and, you know, I had left the job and years had gone by and now I came back and I'm at station 54, I'm working with my mentor and he says to me, uh, we're the bus in the front of the station. I said, okay, great. Opened the door and I went out and there was 471 sitting there. And I just, I stared at it for the longest time because it wasn't from the green and white days. It was now an FDNY big bus with the backseat and brand new and, and I'm just staring at it. So my partner comes out and, and he says, is everything okay? And I said, this bus is 471. He said, yeah. And I had a picture of me and my old partner from years ago in front of 471. And, and it's one of my favorite EMS pictures. And I said to my mentor, I need you to take a picture of me in front of this ambulance. And, and he gave me the strangest look and said, do you always take pictures in front of your ambulance? 
ounces, you know? And I said, no, 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 just take it. And, and I tried to stand the same way I had stood in, in the photo from 20 something years ago. And I said, this was my original bus number. And, and I just found it so fitting mm -hmm. because when I came back to the job, a lot of people had referenced it as I was coming home again. Right. And that was my original unit, my original bus. And here it was now, you know, um, only it was an FDMY bus now and all the units and all the numbers, I said, what are the chances that that bus, I was going to be riding in it again. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was great. Tell us how your family dealt with all of this, right? So you go from being a stay-at-home mom to suddenly the full-time piece of your day is going to be away from them. And how did they deal with that? And what did they think about it? And you know, for my kids, when I went back to work, or even when I was coming through the academy, it was I was on tour too, so I was on days. So they were in school, and I was at work, and so we all kind of came home together at the same time, or maybe an hour or so different. So there really wasn't much in the way of adjustment for them. Mm -hmm. It was a big adjustment for my husband, I think, because he was used to me being home, and, and we kind of would, you know, share responsibilities with the kids and the errands and all that. And we switched roles is, is the way I like to say it. He worked for 20 years and I stayed home and, and now he's home and, and I'm at work. So we're readjusting. And, and I always said to him, I said, uh, I have respect for you because being home is 10 times harder, I think, than being at work, especially when you have three kids. But he's been amazing and uh, incredibly supportive. So I'm, I'm very lucky for that. It's definitely not for everybody. I think if it's for you, it's probably the only thing that's for you. Mm. But if it's not, <laughs> then it's definitely not. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. And people say all the time, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? And, and I think, like, how do you do what you do? I say it over and over. It's a calling, and, and I do believe that. I agree with you. Donna, thanks for being with us today. I know you didn't even know what a podcast was when we first <laughs> talked no, about recording not. this. This is, this is a great conversation. It's a conversation we need to have in EMS and probably in all the first responder communities. Um, it's not easy having a family life and balancing it with this type of work life. It's, it's not easy and a lot of people don't have a choice. And uh, my hat goes off to single parents who do it alone. I mean, I have a lot of support and it's tough. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. Thanks for being with us oh, today. Thanks for having me, Liz. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.